Did I know that superheroes were gonna be the most famous characters on the planet one day? No, but I knew that, that I loved it, my friends loved it, people I knew loved it, and we just wanted to keep doing it more and more and more. From RevThink, you're listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast, a conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. I'm Joel Pilger. Today is an episode of our Profiles of the Creative Entrepreneur Series, where we are talking with Ace Comic-Con CEO, investor, and fine artist, Garib Seamus. Welcome to Rev Thinking. RevThink leverages years of experience and practical wisdom to help owners of top creative studios, so you don't have to choose between following your passion and running your business. Now here is your host, Joel Pilger. Hi, it's Joel. I'm excited to begin a new series today that we are calling Profiles of the Creative Entrepreneur. Now, in this series, we will be interviewing from time to time inspiring creative entrepreneurs in hopes of learning from them about their journey, navigating the intersection of creativity and business. Now, before we get into that, one quick announcement. just wanted to say that if you are a creative business owner, partner, or principal, that RevThink invites you to join our private Facebook group called The Seven Ingredients. Now, this is a private and curated group of owners who own and operate studios, agencies, and production companies. And this is where we are together discussing, debating, and sharing how to run a thriving creative business. It's insightful, it's private, and hey, it's free. So we'll see you there. Just go to Facebook and search for the number seven and ingredients and then request access. Okay, so now let's get to today's episode. So this is an interview of Tim Thompson talking with Garib Seamus. This was conducted when we were in New York City recently doing our business intelligence briefings with owners there in the city. Now, a little background on Garib. For 20 years, he was the publisher of Wizard, the comics magazine, as well as numerous other magazines. Garib also created, operated, and sold the International Fight League, Inc., which he co-founded and served as the CEO. He even produced several televised MMA fights with Fox Sports Network and My Network TV. Now, Garib is currently the owner of the Pivot Gallery in New York City and a galleried artist who has been featured in America and Europe. And most lately, Garib and his brother started a new business called Ace Universe. And Garib says about that, our purpose is to create a global voice for the superhero generation by producing Comic-Cons that showcase world-renowned celebrities, artists, curated panels, top-tier vendors, and unique experiences that engage and immerse fans around the world like never before. We plan to live stream all facets of the events and create a global media channel focusing on superheroes. I should mention the upcoming Ace Comic Con events include Long Island and Arizona, where there are going to be such notable celebrities as Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, Tom Holland, Chris Evans, Stan Lee, Haley Atwell, I could go on and on. But to check that out, just go to aceuniverse.com, and that's where you can grab tickets and find out more. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation between Tim and Garib about his journey, about his passions, about his varied interests from business to the arts. So here is a profile of the creative entrepreneur, Garib Seamus. 
Well, we're back in New York City, and I'm sitting here with my friend, Garib Seamus. It's good to see you, Garib. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks for inviting us into your beautiful studio. It's really wonderful to be here today. Oh, great. This is my playground. So um, I've heard it a few times, but why don't you tell us how you got started? So luckily, I grew up with a family that was very into our education. So luckily, I was always very well educated. Um, but I also had three brothers. So we grew up collecting sports cards and comic books. And it became such a great family hobby that eventually my mom wound up opening up a comic book and sports card shop. So, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So and we're talking over 30 years ago for my mom to even be that entrepreneurial was, was pretty incredible. Um, and at the time, you don't even think about it. But like to have that type of role model growing up and my dad always had his own businesses. Um, it was always a situation where my parents never like came home and said, I hate my boss. And, right. You know, it was always, how do I go and do something and start something and just make it work? So, so can I just stop, stop you? Did yeah. your mom open the store because of you and your brother? She was inspired by what you guys love and just wanted to do something for you? Or? Absolutely. Yeah, wow. I mean, we literally didn't have enough room in the house anymore because we would go to the card shows and buy and sell and we'd pack up the station wagon every weekend and go to another oh, show so and, awesome. and sell. and. It became such a great family business and something that the family could do together, actually. Well, that just that part already gives me chills because I come from four boys and then I have five boys of my own. And I know what it means for a parent to love their kids for what they are doing and be part of it. So for your mom to be that kind of inspiration is amazing. Great place yeah. to start. Thank you. And yeah. my dad, too, always had his own company. And it was always about, you know, as long as you're educated, you could do anything you want and because no one could ever take that away from you and wow. um so I, was, I think i actually want to interview your parents now instead oh, of yeah. you <laughs> they sound very amazing they are incredible people luckily um like i literally consider my mom one of my best friends oh that's so, awesome uh because i had three brothers and we grew up collecting sports cards and comic books uh when i went away to college um i used to work for the school newspaper and sell advertising um and this is back in the mid to late 80s and i wound up making a lot of money for the school newspaper so we wound up going completely desktop. So I became an expert on the Mac and Apple computers back oh. when they first started in, in the desktop publishing world. I mean, at that point in time, you know, the PCs were so kind of dumb that yeah. it's not like you could, you didn't have the windows that you have today, you know, or you didn't have the Apple that you had today. It was really just getting started. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, a Photoshop one and Quark one and, you know, and a, the first laser printer ever. Yeah, right. Um, but what happened was that all of a sudden you could do this really dynamic stuff that you could never do on your own. So I wound up, uh, it's kind of interesting. I was, when I was selling in the field one day, I bumped into another person selling kind of the same client. It turns out that he owned his own local newspaper. Hmm. And he started talking to me and he's like, you know, what are you doing? What do you make? I said, oh, you know, we sell the ads. I keep 10%, school gets 90%. He goes, well, I own my newspaper. He goes. I keep the 90 and I give people like you 10. And I was like, I like those economics, you know, much better. So I caught the bug for the publishing world. And again, this was back in the, the you know, the, the late 80s where there was no internet, cell phones were just barely emerging. Right. And that was like, and being a publisher was a very prestigious thing to do. So when I got out of college, there were no jobs. So I wound up starting a newsletter for my mom's store and I engaged all the people who worked in the store, a lot of the customers to write the articles and I had a Mac and a photocopy machine. So it was a perfect recipe to start something. Right. Um, and then eventually the customers liked it so much that I wound up turning it into a magazine. And 
um, because there was this really amazing distribution system set up into the comic book shops, uh, people, a lot of people really liked it right from the start. Um, but it was only after about a year when uh, these seven artists decided to leave Marvel to start their own company. And it was kind of the combination of what we were doing and the fact that everybody needed to know what was going on with them that it, it created the situation where everybody needed our magazine. So did you know the artists? Were you already in, into that world and know them because of your collecting days? Back in those days, the industry was very, very small. Hmm. And I was 21, 22 at the time. And a lot of the artists, the famous artists at that time that were emerging were all around the same age. And I'd become friendly with them because, you know, we were all kind of trying to make something happen. Oh, yeah. And when you look at the cast of those people that, that came out of that group, uh, one of them created the Deadpool character. You know, one of them, you know, created a massive toy line which does all the sports action figures, the Walking Dead toys, a character named Spawn in the movie. Um, oh, yeah. Jim Lee is the head of DC Comics, so all the big Warner Brother movies that are coming out. One of them did the movie Wanted. I mean, it, it's just an incredibly prolific group of guys, you know, back in the day. Yeah. And we were all just trying to make something happen together. So uh, this is a funny question, but when you're in the moment, uh, or maybe this is ob observation, but it feels like when you're in the moment, you don't know you're in that moment yet. You're just doing what you do and doing what you love. And then after years, it looking back, it becomes this kind of genesis of something amazing. A absolutely. You, you're definitely at the moment, you, you don't know what it's going, what it's leading towards, but you do feel like there's a purpose there. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean that you know exactly what decisions to make. And believe me, I've made a lot of wrong decisions. Um, but luckily I made a few right ones and, but at least you're always following what you think is right. Um, or you have an instinct for it, or you kind of get a lot of feedback from people and then, and then figuring out what, what that next thing would be. So what's a, what I like about your story is that you have come along a group of people that were doing one thing and then you recognize a complementary um, opportunity with your own skill, the things that you knew, and then the birth of wizard comes from, from that moment of you staying in your own lane and helping them or complimenting them instead of copying what they're doing and trying to be like them. Absolutely. I mean, I think even in today's world more than ever, it's, it's so hard to be successful on your own. It takes a team of people that are experts at lots of different areas to kind of come together mm -hmm. and make that work. And I think it's exactly what you said. And it's a matter of staying focused. Um, and I definitely lose focus on things. And every time that I'd lost focus on something, it didn't work. Oh, yeah. You know, so it was always important to kind of keep remembering, you know, that, that you got to stay on course. And no matter how much opportunities get thrown in your face, you know, that you, you really want to stay on track. So, uh, Wizard, what was it like in the early days? Um, it was really like um, putting together a high school newspaper. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of the people that we had um, were people that had either not finished high school, finished high school, part college, graduated college. Um, but, and we really didn't know what we were doing. We just knew that we needed to have fun doing it because we were producing a product for our audience um, and they needed to know that we were having fun doing that. So what we, was the early distribution like? Is 100 people, 50 people? Oh, of the magazine? Yeah. Uh, the first magazine that we did, 
we um, we actually distributed about thirty thousand copies of it. Wow! So it was a it was a, in that terms it was a big success right from the start. But what wound up happening was um, shortly after we started, we were getting a lot of consumers that loved our product, but the retailers were just you know not ordering as many as they needed to. So the sales really went down uh, to the point where um, by the sixth or seventh issue. Um, it was really tough hmm. financially uh, to make it happen. And then two things kind of happened. We went, we changed printers to a much less expensive, higher-end printing, um, which helped. And then also these guys decided to leave Marvel to start a company called Image. So, and so the combination of that and everybody wanting to know what's going on, and we were the source for that. Excellent. Um, it, it just, the magazine just exploded. It just happened. Wow, yeah. so amazing. Um, how many years were you with Wizard or um, with the magazine? So um, I had started the company back in 1990, 91. And then um, I left probably in 2011 um, after we had uh, built it up to quite, you know, quite a lot of uh, Comic-Cons and magazines. We were in a whole bunch of countries. And then I left kind of semi-retired. Yeah, <laughs> not a bad way to retire with your friends running around and... Your friends have done well since 2011, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. You know, it's one of those times where I think it was Marissa Meyer was, like, deciding what to do at, at the time with her career. And she kind of put this whole outline together. And she met with um, one of the big investors. And she had been offered an opportunity at Google back in the day. And it wasn't the best position. It wasn't the best pay. The guy said to her, literally, you know, it's a rocket ship. And it doesn't matter what seat you're on. You just want to get on it. And I kind of think back in those days, and that's what it was like, you know, in retrospect. You didn't know that superheroes were going to take over the world the way they did. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just important to be there, you know, for it to happen. Yeah. Um, so I know that basically, or eventually, the magazine trans takes over and starts working with Comic-Con. But in the magazine, what's the tipping point of the magazine that you're getting enough following that there is new opportunities that you could do something like Comic-Con? Yeah, for us, it was um, it was about two, three years in where the magazine was growing to the point where it was making money, it was stable. Plus, what was happening was now that we were getting a lot of traction, people loved it, we could introduce new elements to it. So we wanted to get into the toy business, action figure side. So we used Wizard as a way to test it. We would put you know six, seven, eight pages of coverage of action figures in there our audience loved it so much, we'd spin it out into a new magazine. We did that with animation, with gaming, with a whole bunch of, of specials that we did. And that's how we were able to kind of launch a lot of new products. And then, and then the Comic-Con opportunity came around back in the mid-90s. At the time, there were two Comic-Cons, one in San Diego, one in New York, uh, one in um, Chicago. And, but, it, but they were really comic books on tabletops. I mean, mm -hmm. that really was the business. And it was actually old comic books. And there was nothing really addressing for this new, younger consumer that liked the new stuff, that liked the new heroes, that liked the new comic books that were coming out. And um, so we wound up buying the Chicago Comic Con, and they had maybe a few thousand people at the show. And for us, it was actually, how do we throw a party? It wasn't even a business. With your friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really like, how do, we, how do we just get everybody we work with together in a room right. and celebrate what we do? And it was like, okay, well, how much money do we want to lose to throw this party? And 
it was actually a very magical experience what happened because all these people that were disenfranchised, you know, because if you were into comic books or superheroes, you were a geek, you were a nerd. But at the time that was being an outcast or an outsider or a loser or, or it was a very derogatory term. Mm -hmm. And then when all these people showed up in one place, they got to see all these other people that were into this, you know, that got dressed up in costumes, that, that liked comic books, that liked certain superheroes, that liked toys and games and, you know, and just wanted to buy more t-shirts and things like that. And, right. and then all of a sudden, then it became this movement in a way where people felt like, wow, we're not in this alone, we're together. So you found the tribe or the tribe found you in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a really defining moment for us. Was there, was there like an aha moment of moving from just doing something fun to feeling responsible for this new tribe of people, this group that wanted to gather? Um, yeah, I think, I think it, it started happening over time. Um, more than it happened for the tribe, it was more the idea of running a company because I started the company when I was 21. So now you're talking, I'm 24, 25 and 26 and I've got 30, 40, 50 people working for me. And, and I'm like, I'm just a kid, you know, and I have, uh, so many people in the company are, you know, they're older than me, you know, and then I'm respond and then they, they might be married and they might have kids and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm now responsible for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I always felt that obligation that if I'm not working, you know, they're not being fed. So it definitely created a lot of pressure. I love the story you tell when you try to go to a comic con, but you couldn't rent the car. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a very, very common experience because back in the day you couldn't rent a car until you're 25. And a lot of artists and writers had that problem because we'd go into these comic cons, we'd all get to the airport and we'd have no way to get to the hotel. There was no Uber. There was no like, you know, you have to take some crappy shuttle that took three hours. Um, so it was really funny how we would always like kind of get in and team up and figure out how to get to places. Yeah, I love it. The, on, the, <clears throat> the young entrepreneur story of running into the wall of you know, be younger than the age limit that the world wants to accept that you can be successful. And yet you're creating something new and, and making some kind of new opportunity that the world kind of loves and needs. I, I just love that. Moment. Yeah. So that was, that was one of the things that I found to be always great. And that always helped me keep a very open mind, which was, I never cared about how old somebody was. Like some of my best friends were some of the biggest and best illustrators in the world. And they were 21, 22, you know, we had editors that were that were in their 20s and they were brilliant and they were funny and they were cool. And, and so I never looked at age. I never cared where an idea came from. You know, was, you know, I always wanted to make sure that those ideas came to the surface. And I think that 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 did help me. And also, I was that person, too. I was that young person that I needed people to take serious. Um, and also, I luckily, I looked young for my age. So when I was 21, people thought I was 14. It was really, <laughs> it was actually very hard to get things done. Nobody, very few people took me Did serious. Did your mom go with you so that you can rent the cars? And... A, a lot of times, yeah, yeah. That's so great. You know, the, it's hard enough being an entrepreneur to be in your 20s an entrepreneur. It's pretty amazing. So what's the, what's the aha moment? When does Garib kind of own something and just going along with what's there and throwing the party to recognizing, hey, I, I think I've realized I could... I do something different. I see opportunities and then I take it. Where's that aha moment and 
that you start building other enterprises as well? I think what happens over time is you get over this fear. And for me, um, it's all about starting something. And I just want to see what it looks like. You know, I use that expression a lot with, with people that I work with, you know, that say, oh, you know, we're not going to do that because, you know, it won't look good or whatever. And I, I'm always like, I just want to see what it looks like. Um, and for me, it's if it looks good, if I like it, if it smells right or tastes right, you know, maybe we'll take it a little bit further and just keep taking baby steps to see how it progresses. But I also, I just don't have a fear, like, because I know that in this world, you can actually accomplish anything. Mm. You know, did I know that superheroes were going to, you know, be the most famous characters on the planet one day? No, but I knew that um, that I loved it. My friends loved it. People I knew loved it. And we just wanted to keep doing it more and more and more until it became this global phenomenon. So, you know, it's possible. And when you look at somebody like a Mark Zuckerberg who started Facebook, it's like, did he think he was going to, even in his wildest dreams, I don't know that he could have thought that he'd have 2 billion people on a platform. Um, But, you know, for him, it was, how do we get Harvard? You know, and how do we get the next one? How do we get the next one? And then before you know it, the whole, so it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how old you are or, 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 or anything to do with, you know, what constraints there are. You actually could do anything if you're passionate about it. I talk about, uh, or I like to talk about the stages of a creative career and how a person in their career moves from the beginning stage of an artist um, and then they develop and realize there's more opportunity if they become the auteur, which is the person that other people do the work, but the auteur gets the credit for it. Um, and then eventually that person, which it sounds like you you had those moments in your in the wizard days, which is you have found a body of people that were amazing at what they did and you collected them together and put the wizard brand on top of it, that auteur stage. The next stage of the career, it seems that people move to is what I call the curator stage where they're no longer trying to just take all the credit. They're willing to share that credit with others. So they, they take the artists and give artists credit and then you know, put a brand on top of it as well. And I think the evolution that you had from Wizard into the next enterprises is the beginning of you curating things of, of like kind. So tell us what happened after Wizard when you started getting into other types of superheroes. So what I, what I started to do is, um, you know, as I started, you know, learning about all these things, just for my own sake, um, it, it, it became more and more apparent in the world today that, that it's all about bringing in the best people and giving them an opportunity and giving them a platform and giving them a way to work together to make a lot of really great things happen. And that's, that's life. Um, you know, and luckily I've, I've had my whole life around building a network and meeting people. And I've, I'm always fascinated with meeting people. And even to this day, I still meet a few new people every single day. And which Joel and I benefited from when we reached out to you yeah. and you said yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's true. I mean, I, I live a life where if I'm available, the answer is yes. You know, because you never know where where things are going to come from. And I think a lot of people tend to get caught in their levels mm. in life, where you know they might only deal with a certain level, whether they're president or CEO, or they're a VP, or they're a manager, or 
there's some other role in life, mm. you know, I think they constantly get caught in that role of these are the people that are at my level that I'm going to work with. And I don't see levels to me. I, we live in a world where you've got young people starting billion dollar tech companies and you've got old people reinventing themselves and doing really cool new things. And you've got people that are very stagnant in life that don't know how to get out from what they're doing or take a chance. And so for me, it's, it's really figuring out how to bring the best people together. Yeah, you've taught me so much. I think you and I know each other for maybe two years now. Um, we Three years now? Four years now? My goodness, yeah. you're kidding. How am I getting this old? This can't be true. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever I'm in New York and we have a chance to sit at the Soho, we'll, we'll sit at the Soho house. Um, and you're, you've taught me this part of it, that it's the, it's the meeting the people and the people are the opportunity. Um, and you're not afraid of, of that moment. And knowing you a little bit, I'd say you're somewhat of an introvert. So you can't necessarily want to be open and start every conversation with a new stranger, but you're willing to do it. There's a, there's a new kind of uh, opportunity in each conversation. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, yesterday I, I saw a quote, and I'm not a quote person at all, but, um, but Gary V is, Vaynerchuk is awesome. And he, he, he had a quote that said, if you don't enjoy the process, you've already lost the game. And, you know, I love the process. I enjoy the process. And for a lot of people, that process is a grind. And that you just, you know, they just, they don't want to go out and go to another party or meet more people or they can't get motivated to just keep going at it day after day after day. Um, but I enjoy that part of it. Yeah. And, you know, when you embrace that, you know, then... You, you know, then you can succeed. Yeah. And you, the other thing that you taught me well is how to hear what people are saying. And I think, um, you know, I, I was, when I first met you, I was very curious about what that was like or what you were seeing or what you were talking about. But really when you, when you've listened to me and my stories and my ideas, you've given me insight because you've learned how to hear what someone's trying to explain. And then here's the best part. You honestly give away the value for free it feels like you give someone honest direction and honest feedback even if it doesn't necessarily benefit you directly it hasn't always been that way for me though so you know i definitely think that in my earlier years i do think i probably did have a hard time hearing people and doing things my way and you know and i think i've had a lot of people give me some good advice over the years that i probably should have taken or felt like i was too deep into a situation that i couldn't take that advice and it's only been within the last probably eight to 10 years where I felt like um, my life has become way more open, way more transparent, starting to, you know, embrace what other people are talking about and kind of digest that. Um, and then also become a lot more open with the fact that, you know, I used to be a lot more secretive about my ideas and things of that nature and then realized that. I'm never going to do this stuff or it's going to take me forever. But if I just give it to other people, great, let them go do it. Let them enjoy their life if it helps them in any possible way. And that's when I started mentoring a lot of young entrepreneurs and I started getting a lot of fulfillment out of just giving my advice if people wanted it, whether it was good or bad, whatever. Yeah, but at right. least it was whatever insight I had. Um, and I got a sense of uh, it, just a great fulfilling uh, you know, a feeling out of being able to do that, you know, and finding that even sometimes when I can't even take my own advice, but I do know that it's 
in my heart, it's the right thing. Right thing, yeah. Um, so I enjoy that. I really enjoy it now. You, you say that so well. The, there's something unique about the entrepreneur, that there's something that's hungry inside of them. Um, I just taught last night or, um, at the, this NYU class, and I made the, made the statement that many of us have something inside of us, and we feel like that our whole life is about trying to get that out. And, and we're, supposed to, we're here for a purpose, and we're trying to find out what that purpose is and then fulfill that purpose. Um, and I know that through your process or your willingness, that's what, that's what we love about entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. That's why we're in the help entrepreneur business of things. I mean, I know that, you know, people call it entrepreneurs and stuff like that, but you know, for me, it's, there is that purpose, right? I see a problem and I want to fix it. And most of the time it's a problem that I have, right? I want to, I want to do something and there's nothing out there or possible for it. And, you know, so I've started companies, you know, with the whole intent of fixing my own problem. And then I find that a lot of people are like myself and have that similar issue. Yeah. And, um, but very recently, um, within the last three years, I started painting and it's a whole different sort of uh, fulfillment um, and a whole different sort of, you know, fixing an issue, which is more, more my own, but it's about, um, you know, luckily I've had a very blessed life. So my pieces are all about, they're very meditative for me. So it's all about being very positive and optimistic. And it's a way for me to visually express, you know, some of the themes that I've been through in well, my life. We're sitting in the middle of your gallery right now. And I told Joel earlier, I feel like I'm in the middle of Garib's head. <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting in your brain with the expressions that we're sitting around. I love the technique and I love the process that you've discovered to, oh, to make it. Thank you. And that's, that actually is very true. It is you are in my brain, you know, you, but you do, yes, you do get to see, you know, what's, what this, this crazy colors and patterns are coming out, you know, that I dream about and that I wake up and I got to mix these colors and I got to put them down a certain way and in a certain order and a certain precision to them because I want to express a theme about, you know, as an entrepreneur, just getting started. It doesn't matter how small. So I'll do small drops all the way up to larger drops, or I do patterns that are seem very random, but over time they get bigger and bigger about following your, your journey. And it doesn't matter, you know, where you're going, you know, as long as you're growing along the way, um, or, you know, people think you, your life needs to be perfect and rainbows need to be perfectly arched, but they don't, they can follow any path. And, you know, so, so many pieces that I've done are, are kind of trying to show people those, those ideas. You know, I have yeah. another one called The Dancing Birds. And uh, even though there's no paint that goes off the canvas and it's all about no matter how, um, how confined you think you are, there's still lots of room to be flexible and organic and to move and go with the flow. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you feel that way, yeah. you know, where you might have financial constraints or people can only do so much or you can only do accomplish, but you still have a lot of room to maneuver. So there's... There's one th more thing that you've really inspired me on in that um, when I was doing the stages of a career, there was parts that I can see, the artist, the auteur, and even the curator. Um, because most of the people I deal with are in the auteur stage. I was trying to find that stage that they could possibly go to and add community to it. Um, you, you talking about the people you meet and how you meet them, 
um, you would agree with me that there's this opening up to community to get there. But here's the thing that inspired me, and I think your art, and even what happens after Wizard, which you can talk about, is I tell people they go from the curator stage to the collector stage. And the collector stage is so unique because an art collector pays the money for the artwork and then hangs it on a museum wall for free. And then somehow there's additional value to it. And I think the way you live now is what I have in my mind of what a collector is really doing. You, you, you alluded to it when you said, I have problems that I want to solve, so I start businesses to do it. You start a collection of solutions in a way. Right. I know I'm kind of telling you yeah. this and, and asking you the question at the same time, but what's it like to have that, that moment where, you, where the next tipping point comes and you get outside of all about me and about building the world or growing the world through your process? Um, I, I think I, I don't really study it that way, you know, so I don't know. That's my job. I, I know. <laughs> no, but I, I but I, I know. But that's the whole thing is that, you know, I, I never like think, oh, here's how I'm going to do all those kind of things. Yeah. For me, all of this stuff starts literally very, very small. Um, when I started painting, I just wanted to paint in my house and I came up with an idea of why I wanted to paint and how I wanted to use art as a way to be very honest and and kind of not even share it with my friends at that point. It was really just about myself. I needed a creative outlet for things. And and then it just kept growing and growing. And then, you know, after six months or a year, it was only then that, you know, I showed it to anybody that had anything to do with the art world before they were like, wow, you know. And yeah. to me, it was like, you know, it wasn't about that. It was just I needed to have a place for my expression, and so um, uh, and and so in business, the same opportunities it, have happened. And almost you hold it in at first, not knowing, and then it develops into something. Absolutely. So I, I I'm in the process of uh, building an app right now. We're getting pretty close to finishing it. Um, but Congratulations. Thank you. But and I'll show it to you. But it's all about making it really easy for people to connect with one another. I find that um, that there's a lot of kind of friction in how people interact with each other. And I've, I think I've solved that problem. And, you know, but, and it's through technology. So, but I've spent two years working on it. And I, I started with, you know, an idea and then brought in somebody to help me flush out the idea and get the development going and then keep doing it. And then I've had to move developers and I've had to, you know, get more people or different people involved in order to make that happen. But it grew from something you know, just an idea that I needed for myself to now a product that we're going to launch into the marketplace. And that that's just a small piece of opportunities that you see because you've really went even gone just through that one story. There's more of you even investing, seeing um, with the meetings that you're having with people when opportunities there and you know you could contribute. You'd love to contribute as an investor or a thought leader in each of those businesses. Absolutely. And then even with the app, it's, you know, I put in my own money to make it happen. And I didn't want to take in any outside capital until I felt like it was a product that people could see the vision for, that yeah. it wasn't even a, a thought or an idea or PowerPoint or, or just let me show you a quick sketch of it. It's like, oh, here's the app. I built it. So would you agree that that, that final stage is kind of a lack of selfishness? Not, it's not all about what Garb can get out of it. You're willing to share it or let it be open and be a minority holder, even if you've contributed something to it. I would say sometimes you've contributed and don't participate at all in, in what someone's doing. Um, th there's, a, there's probably most of the time, if it's not something that I start, 
But if it's something that I work with other people on, I, to me, I, I don't care. I'm just happy to help. I want to see my friends or people I know succeed. There's no reason for people to have to struggle, to have to figure it out or do it when I know that in a few minutes um, I can offer a piece of advice or a connection that can help somebody. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't cost me anything That's what I, do that. I would love the entrepreneurial journey to be like for anyone in it is that eventually they begin to trust that they, because they've done it successfully, that that success is available again and again and again for themselves if they need something more or for others. Absolutely. And most recently, my brother and I started a new Comic-Con company with the intent of building a global community because the first phase of what we did was getting people to even like superheroes to begin with, you know, and I think we've done a really great job of that around the world. But now it's a matter of taking all these people around the world and making them feel like they're part of one larger community, which is what we're going to be doing so now. So I have to ask the real important question now, uh, Thor. What did yes. you think of it? I loved it. Yeah. It, was, it was a really fun movie. Um, I, I think they went in a great direction with it. Um, and just the way they also work with um, the characters and continuity and how you feel like you just have to keep coming back for more and more and more. They've done just a spectacular job. We liked that. It, we liked this expression that there's always something in the box. It's like from the J.J. Abrams uh, TED talk that there's. Yeah. And it, I think they're doing such a great job that every time you walk into one of these films, you think you're just going to see the usual thing, and they somehow they're opening it up every time you yeah. walk into the theater. Well, what it. they're doing is they're 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 treating the fan with a lot of respect because they're they're not just creating a movie, they're they're creating a almost like a, a soap opera in a way where there's a lot of depth to what they do. There's a lot of nuggets there and a lot of thought that goes behind every scene. You're not just watching a scene, you're, you're, you're absorbing the universe and how it will impact not only what you're watching, but the future and the past that, that's happened. Don't you love too that this thing that you love, like you've just loved it your entire life, has evolved and changed an entire entertainment industry where now I think that the I think that the Star Wars deal owes a thank you note to the Marvel deal because the Star Wars universe opened up after they recognized how the the Marvel interviews opened up now the Star Trek universe is opening up there they've basically figured out how to align these yeah this entertainment th there's no question that there's definitely a lot of validation for you know the decades that went into kind of pushing forward in that and taking all the brunt and the, the good and the bad, you know, people complaining or saying nasty things about what you're doing and how you're this and you're that yeah. and selling out. But then also the good part is that, you know, you've made an impact on so many people around the world. It's, it's really No, I'm so fantastic. thankful. I don't want to watch another brand new Superman movie. I want to see... You know, well, Henry Cavill is awesome, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think he would. Well, I mean, you and, know, I've uh, seen it in the '70s. I saw it in the '80s. Or Batman did the same thing; they kept reinventing the storyline. So I love how it's, yeah. you know, a DC's finally in the game, and I hopefully Absolutely. Justice League will be all that we want it to be from the kids that we. Yeah, and and that's why we started this new company, Ace Universe, because my brother and I we we kind of created that Comic Con business model, and it's gotten much bigger but it hasn't changed in 20 years. Mm. So we said, 
how what's the future of that world you know what are the pitfalls what were the what are the problems that people had you know you go to a website for one of these events and there might be a lot of stuff going on but your access to it is very limited mm. and you go home and you're not happy because you know only a few people got to experience it and since we luckily have a lot of access in hollywood with the, with the agents and the celebrities and things of that nature we wanted to create a very unique curated experience that people can feel like they're part of it again and so now we have the cast of the justice league and we have the cast of spider-man and and captain america coming to events that we're doing it we're doing them in arenas as opposed to convention centers because an arena has that aura of an event and something exciting we can't have a hundred thousand people there it's about making sure that everybody that comes can have a great experience we're going to have we don't have room for 500 vendors we only have room for 100 so we're going to pick the top 100 we don't have room for 200 artists we only have room for 50 so we're going to pick the best 50 wow. you know that people want to see and then we could theme it and we're going to do kids comic cons and and all kinds of cosplay stuff and so the first event is is just over 3 weeks away and um so tell us where that event is that's going to be at the nassau coliseum december 8 9 and 10 so it's a friday saturday sunday uh, we have gal gadot who's the hottest celebrity on the planet right now she's going to be there and you could literally take a picture with the cast of the justice league henry wow. cavill from superman jason moas uh aquaman's going to be there ezra miller flash um ray fisher who's cyborg and stephen the guy who plays stephen wolf who's the uh, villain is going to be there come um, on that's awesome so it's and then also quite frankly we have um we have Charlie Cox, who plays Daredevil in the Netflix TV show, and John Bernthal, who plays The Punisher. And The Punisher opens up on Netflix this weekend. So we, we're trying to bring in the best celebrities at that moment in time, you know, for fans to be able to interact and take photos and to, to, um, to, take, to get autographs. And then we're building a stage so that everybody that would want to come to the panel and see and, 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 and be a part of that conversation with the talent will be a part of it. But then what we're doing is, we're gonna be live streaming the whole event all over the world. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're saying, yes, you could buy a ticket to be at the show, but it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you're gonna be able to participate and see what's going on and feel like you're part of that moment. And it's for free, and whether it's on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, however people want to be able to access it, we're gonna give people access That's to the show. That's so great. So I was gonna ask you a question how does Gareb finish this career? Because I want you to inspire the next thing after Collector. It doesn't seem like you even know how it's going to finish. You're just going to keep on inventing, creating, seeing opportunities, finding the resources that are there and yeah, never stop. There is no stop. you know. And, and, and quite frankly, it, it gets even more prolific because as, as you start getting into more industries or different areas, you realize that you built a network in one area but you don't even realize that that network probably has tentacles into another network. So I've been able to migrate into other areas yeah. seamlessly because I know, luckily I know how to network, but also I, I never knew that I had friends that did, that was in that world. And the minute I start opening up the conversation, I realize that I know people there and then I ask, and I'm not afraid to ask for introductions and I'm happy to reciprocate, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, I have a lot of friends, even in the art world. Um, I've been a professional now for two years, and a lot of my friends that have been lifelong artists, you know, are amazed that, you know, a lot of times they're saying to me, Garib, you know, you've done more in two years than we've done in 10 or 15 years. And it's like, how do you do it? And it's like, 
I, I don't know. It, to me, it's just very normal. But and I, intentional. You and are, intentional. Yeah. But but I enjoy the process. I I like the business side of it. I like the the social interaction. I like talking about it. Um, whereas you know a lot of people, especially in the art world, you know, especially artists, yeah. typically don't like to talk about their work or or engage people. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I, I love to do that stuff. No, I'll, I'll tell you. And thank you for being an inspiration because I I know when I tell people I own a zipline company and a timber company and a sports marketing company and a consult, and it, it doesn't make any sense to anyone. But the reality is, and from the vision you gave me, is it's the network of people I knew and people that needed help and anything right. I could do to help them. So then in time, things evolve and there's opportunities that you accept or don't accept. So it really right. does feel that way when you start living out the life of not just only being about you. And there's many times that you have to give it away to find it. But that inspiration just yeah. doesn't stop, does it? It really no, does it create a larger scale. Yeah. And there's always ideas. You know, the more people you meet, the more you get perspective on things. And and also, I talk to, I try to talk to everybody about everything. But I, And I also think that the key is, uh, with the art world, I would talk to artists and they would tell me, you know, I'd say, what are you doing? And they'd be like, oh, I'm working on this piece. I've got this show. I've got, this. and then if I went to them in a year, I'd be, what's going on? Oh, I got this piece. I've got the show. If I talk to them next year, oh, I got this piece. And to me, it's, well, what's the five year? Where are you going to be in 10 years? You know, if I want to get vested in you, whether it's your art or just as a, as a fan, you know, yeah. I, give me some insight as to what you're doing. Cause I know that like when I pitch investors for things, um, they don't care about what I'm doing today or tomorrow or even next year or two years from now. Where are you going to be in three years, five years, 10 years? Yeah. And the more I put out there where I want to be in five to 10 years, the more people try to help me do that, right? So I'm like, oh yeah, I want to take over Lincoln Center. I want to do this. I want to do a building here. I got a project that I, I have a great idea. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, I know somebody or have you thought about this building instead of that building? And, and then all of a sudden you can achieve your dreams. Yeah. A lot quicker. I think you're the one who told me it's not the million dollar idea; it's the hundred million dollar idea and the billion idea, dollar idea that you have to have in order to get started and keep going. Absolutely, because when you look at, I mean, and those are just numbers, but it's more of a reflection of the size or scale. If you want people to want to be inspired by you, you know, how do you inspire them? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not about what you're going to do next week; it's about what you want to accomplish, and people also want to accomplish things and i think if they feel like they can help you do that they will also get a sense of accomplishment as well so great carib i i never know when to stop talking <laughs> to you i there I are so either. many things i want i want to learn i'm glad i'm inside of your brain because i often pick your brain so i might as well just be living in it for a little while um but i just want to hear to finish i want to hear about you know, what inspires Garib? I know that I'm inside your brain right now and the colors and the, the shapes that are here. Um, I know that you have family. I know you have people that you love and inspire you, but there's something that keeps you going on a day-to-day -day basis that, you're, that you would love to make sure that they know what, what you're doing or you want to kind of change the world or touch something. So what's the kind of the big thing that you know that you, you want to leave the world remembering about you um for me it's just it's just starting a discussion um you know getting people to connect and communicate um around just whether it's between people or community or on a global basis so when you look at almost everything that i've done um 
it's all centered around people engaging with each other, right? So whether it's the, the magazines and the Comic-Cons and people organizing around something that they're very passionate about. Um, I was in the mixed martial arts world. It's the same thing. It's, it was the team concept. It was about, you know, people organizing and rallying around, you know, a specific city or, or, or type of fighting uh, process. Uh, but then, then when you look at the Comic-Cons now that we're working on and the global streaming platform, it's making people feel like they're part of that all over the world, that they could, they, that they could be a part of what's going on. And then it's even the art. It's, you know, when somebody, you know, sees my art or buys a piece of art or looks at it, you know, it's this idea that they can feel good about it and then share it with somebody else. And then the art itself becomes part of that discussion. Yeah, and so many, yeah. yeah. And so many times now I, I'll, people tell me, oh, I showed that piece to my mom or I showed it to, you know, another friend of mine and we started talking about it. And, and I love the idea that, that, that these things are creating these discussions amongst people. I think you're in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. I think you're the connector. I think you're the one that wants to make the connection. So I love doing that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I got to say again, thank you so much for, for all that you inspired Joel and I. Um, I love hearing your story. And oh. I often brag to my kids that I know you. So I oh, appreciate you. you letting me be a hero <laughs> in my own house. The superheroes yes. are ruling there. Um, so thank you again. I appreciate it. You guys are great. And I'm always, I love talking about this stuff. And however, you know, I can help. You know, the people listening, I'm happy to do so. We've mentioned your art, art a few times. So if people want to see the art we're referring to, what's the website that they can go to to see it? The best place is my website, It's and it's my name. It's Garib Seamus, G-A-R-E-B-S-H-A-M-U-S. Great. And the new Comic-Con company is called Ace Universe. So if people want to go to Ace, aceuniverse.com, they could check out all the cool stuff going on. Get your on. tickets or Absolutely, yeah. So excited about that. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. RevThinking is produced by RevThink. Feel free to connect with us at RevThink.com. We'd love to help. And hey, if you like the RevThinking podcast, please do us a favor by subscribing on iTunes and giving us your feedback. Thanks for listening to RevThinking. 